Good morning. I greet you in Jesus' name. I do count it a privilege to be with you this morning. I have not been to Prairie before, so this is a, a first. I count it a privilege to be here. I am an instructor at Maranatha. I also am serving on the board at this time, so I just wanted to say thank you to you as a congregation for your support of MBS. I'm sure you do things behind the scenes at times that maybe you don't get a lot of thanks or appreciation. Thank you for that. Also, thank you for allowing thank you for allowing Dennis to make MBS his priority for the uh, first 12 weeks or so of, of the year. This morning, I, uh, I guess I'm going to wrap something up that I started at Maranatha in my series of morning chapel talks there and Sunday morning service. I uh, used a series that I preached from back home from uh, from 1 Timothy 6.11 and I couldn't quite get finished. I had one su- one subject left in that series and it really wasn't a big deal. Um, but I thought, okay, this morning kind of allows me to use that final subject. And I told, I'm teaching Introduction to Music Theory at uh, Maranatha. And I told my class, I, I told them a little nasty trick to play if they have a piano in the house is if they come home later in the evening, everyone else has gone to bed, go to the piano and just do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, and then go off to bed. T wants to be resolved. You don't want to be left hanging on a on a T. Wants to, where's that dough? You know. So I don't feel that same intensity this morning, but in a sense, it feels right. Okay, I've I worked through the whole the whole series again. First Timothy six eleven is how I came to the subject this morning. The subject of meekness. I don't know what you think of when you think of meekness. You probably think of it being one of the fruit of the spirit, which is absolutely true. But what got me to this subject actually was preaching through 1 Timothy 6.11, which says, But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. So there is some overlap in this verse between the fruit of the Spirit and also some other, other words mentioned. We are to follow after or pursue meekness. So the title of the message this morning, The Pursuit of Meekness. Now maybe you're thinking, how can we pursue meekness? Isn't that a little bit like knowing you're humble? Well, we'll come back to that a little bit later. Let's start by defining meekness. So, some... Definitions from a modern-day dictionary. First one, enduring injury with patience and without resentment. Mild. Two, deficient in spirit and courage. Submissive. Three, not violent or strong. Moderate. Okay, now from Strong's Concordance. There are two different Greek words translated meekness in the King James Bible. The one says uh, gentleness, and by implication humility. The other says mildness, 
by implication, humility. Now, from Vine's Dictionary, some thoughts there. It is an inwrought grace of the soul, and the exercises of it are first and chiefly toward God. It is that temper of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good, and therefore without disputing or resisting. It is closely linked with the word humility and follows directly upon it. This meekness, however, being first of all a meekness before God, is also such in the face of men, even of evil men, out of a sense that these, with the insults and injuries which they may inflict, are permitted and employed by him for the chastening and purifying of his elect. I believe that meekness and faith or trust in God are closely connected when we trust God. And this, as I thought about this uh, subject in light of our Sunday school lesson, there is a lot of, a lot of connection here. We can trust God. And I'm not sure if it's the chicken and egg thing, which sort of comes first. But um, when we have trust in God, then we can meekly uh, accept what comes. And um, we can meekly accept what comes when we trust in God. Part of that is that we know that someday he will right the wrongs. We leave God to be the avenger. And that's part of why we can meekly accept what comes in life. Meekness, as you could tell from the definitions in the modern day dictionary, meekness is a difficult word to define. In the, in the English language, sometimes the word is translated gentleness, which is quite good, but I think that's more in relation to our actions Whereas meekness is a condition of the, the mind, the heart. And you have no doubt heard the expression that meekness is not weakness. And that is the unfortunate connotation in English with the words meekness, mildness, and lowliness. We get this kind of doormat sort of uh, mind, picture in our mind. There are not an abundance of scriptures that use the word meek. Or meekness, but when I studied this subject, I soon came to realize that this is a very important subject in God's eyes. I believe that the presence or lack of meekness in our lives, God sees that as a, a major characteristic of our lives, is the, uh, the meekness or lack thereof. And I think it has a monumental bearing on how much God can use us in his service. Back to that question, can we pursue meekness? It is a bit rhetorical because we have a verse right here that says to pursue it. So we, we know we can. There's also an Old Testament command to seek meekness in Zephaniah 2 verse 3. Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment. Seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be you shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. So it is obvious that God holds the meekness and the meek in high regard, his favors toward them. And in a number of the scriptures where meekness is mentioned, it is in the context of God vindicating the meek. He comes through and he vindicates them, he rewards them 
for their faithfulness. And uh, a few of those verses would be found in the, the Psalms. You don't need to turn to these. I've printed them in my notes, so I'm going to go through them a little more quickly. But in Psalm 76, 7 to 9, Thou, even thou, art to be feared. And who may stand in thy sight when once thou art angry? Thou didst cause judgment to be heard from heaven. The earth feared and was still. When God arose to judgment to save all the meek of the earth. Selah. Psalm 147.6 says, The Lord lifteth up the meek. He casteth the wicked down to the ground. And I opened up Philip Keller's book on A Gardener Looks at the Fruit of the Spirit to read what he had about meekness. And he pointed out the serious contrast in Scripture between how God delights in the meek and the humble, the contrite in spirit. God delights in them and he opposes the proud. He's actively working against the haughty and the arrogant. And that's a serious thought. That's a big, big difference to have God um, delighting in you or actively working against you. That should make any person with a high opinion of themselves to tremble. And as we think of people with a high opinion of themselves, I have a little somewhat humorous um, poem here. And it made me actually think of Dennis. So one, one day when Dennis was at Bible school, uh, or I, sorry, put it this way. It, sound, it reminded me a bit of his sense of humor. Okay, not of him, his sense of humor. So I thought I should uh, run it by him and make sure that he, you know, I thought, well, maybe this is something that he has, has used and, uh, and I'll just... Uh, Stay away from it. But he had heard of the illustration, but he hadn't heard it in poem form. So let me read it in poem form. It's called The Ego Cure. And you might know where this is going. Sometime when you're feeling important. Sometime when your ego's in bloom. Sometime when you take it for granted you're the best qualified man in the room. Sometime when you feel that you're going would leave an unfillable hole. Just follow these simple instructions and see how it humbles your soul. Take a bucket and fill it with water. Put your hand in it up to the wrist. Pull it out, and the hole that remains is a measure of how much you'll be missed. You may splash all you please when you enter. You can stir up the water galore. But stop, and you'll find in a minute that it looks quite the same as before. The moral in this quaint example is just do the best that you can. Be yourself, but always remember there is no indispensable man. Ego cure. The Lord lifteth up the meek, casteth the wicked down to the ground. Psalm 149, 4, For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. The meek will he guide in judgment. And the meek will he teach his way. Psalm 25, 9, the meek are teachable. And also in Psalms 22, 26, the meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. We see meek people, satisfied people, content people, 
people praising the Lord. They have the right perspective, as we talked about in our Sunday school lesson. That Isaiah 29.19 says, The meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. So I thought about that. The meek aren't wrapped up in their own lives. And, you know, just how things are going for them is not the be-all and end-all. When difficulties come, you know, they don't have this martyr complex that, oh, life is just so hard right now. uh, Because their lives, their minds are not centered on themselves, but rather on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then they can have joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. And I say that to myself as a challenge. I find it too easy to let how well the day is going affect me. There's some prophecies about Christ that speak of meekness. And I want to look at him briefly as our perfect example. A couple from Isaiah. Isaiah 11.4 But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove or argue with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And then Isaiah 61, 1-3, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. And then if you would turn actually back to Psalm, Psalm 45. This is a psalm about a, a king, and I believe it points ahead to Christ, Christ our King. And yet it's a an interesting picture of what this king is like. Psalm 45, first six verses. My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore God hath blessed thee forever. Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, with thy glory and thy majesty. And in thy majesty... Ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness. And thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things. Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies, whereby the people fall under thee. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. You know, meekness is held up in such high regard. One of the reasons is because Christ himself demonstrated meekness. His kingdom here in verse 4 is known for truth and meekness and righteousness. Matthew Henry wrote, Men are brought to believe on him because he is true, to learn of him because he is meek, and to submit to him because he is righteous and rules with equity. Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. And again, the word meek was used in the 
the prophecy and in the fulfillment where he rode into Jerusalem. Meek. It says, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt the foal of an ass. And then Philippians 2, familiar verses there. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. When we think of our highly exalted Christ, the way he conducted himself, it is amazing to think of coming down from the throne of heaven and uh, the way he related to mankind on this earth, the way he relates to us. It is a kingdom of truth and meekness and righteousness. I'd like to look at a few Old Testament examples of meekness. In Genesis 26, there's an account. I think I'll read a number of verses here. We'll make a lot of comments, but refresh the account in our minds. Genesis 26. So the first few verses give us the setting here. There's a famine in the land. And this is speaking of Isaac. In his time, there's a famine in the land, and Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, and to Gerar. The Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt, dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. So he sojourned in that land, he dwelt in it. God said, I will bless thee. And God did. If we jump down to verse 12, Then Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year an hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great. For he had possession of flocks and possession of herds and great store of servants, and the Philistines envied him. For all the wells which his father's servants had digged in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth. And Abimelech said unto Isaac, Go from us, for thou art much mightier than we. And Isaac departed thence and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac digged again the wells of water, which they had digged in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham. And he called their names after the names by which his father had called them. And Isaac's servants digged in the valley and found there a well of springing water. And the herdmen of Gerar did strive with Isaac's herdmen, saying, The water is ours. And he called the name of the well Esek, because they strove with him. And they digged another well, and strove for that also. And he called the name of it Sitna. And he removed from thence, and digged another well. And for that they strove not. And he called the name of it Rehoboth. And he said, For now the Lord hath made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. And he went up from thence to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared unto him the same night, and said, I am the God of Abraham thy father. Fear not, for I am with thee, and will bless thee, and multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake. 
And he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants digged a well. 26. Then Abimelech went to him from Gerar and Ahazah, one of his friends, and Phicol, the chief captain of his army. And Isaac said unto them, Wherefore come ye to me, seeing ye hate me, and have sent me away from you? And they said, We saw certainly that the Lord was with thee. And we said, Let there be now an oath betwixt us, even betwixt us and thee, and let us make a covenant with thee, that thou wilt do us no hurt, as we have not touched thee, and as we have done unto thee nothing but good, and have sent thee away in peace. Thou art now the blessed of the Lord. And he made them a feast, and they did eat and drink. And they rose up betimes in the morning and swear one to another. And Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. And it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him concerning the well which they had digged. And they said unto him, We have found water. And he called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city is Beersheba unto this day. A number of interesting things in here as you ponder the account. He obviously says in verse 13, he waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great. Um, he was uh, a very powerful, a very powerful man. And um, it was intimidating to the people around them. They said, go out. And so he did move out. And I don't know if he didn't go far enough or he, um, or what it was, but there was this strife then over the, the wells he, his servants were digging. And he just quietly, he just kept moving a little farther, farther until there was room for everyone. And then the Lord saw that. The Lord appeared unto him and said, I am with thee. I will bless thee. Again, the Lord sees the meek. And he affirms to the meek, I will, I will be with you. Isaac had just suffered some losses here. Water, precious, important for all the flocks and herds he had. And God says, I will be with you. And then he gets a visit from these people that have sent him out. And they, they witnessed that they could tell that the Lord was with him and they wanted there to be peace. Isaac maybe could have tried to to leverage things a bit, but, you know, maybe get something out of this, but no, he just, uh, okay, let's let's be at peace. And then what was the news he got? As soon as he had sent away in peace, the servants come, we found more water. We see the Lord's uh, blessing upon his life as he lived at, at peace with those around him. Uh, an example of quiet strength, Isaac, uh, here in this account. In Numbers 12, we have another time where the Lord saw the meek. Numbers 12, the first three verses. And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. It impresses me here 
the end of verse 2, and the Lord heard it. So, there's an accusation brought against Moses, and Moses does there's nothing here about him defending himself. But the Lord heard, and the Lord got involved in verse 4. He spake unto Moses and Aaron and Miriam and called them forward, and the Lord dealt with the with the matter. Again from Matthew Henry, when God's honor was concerned, as in the case of the golden calf, no man more zealous than Moses. But when his own honor was touched, no man more meek. As bold as a lion in the cause of God, but as mild as a lamb in his own cause. God's people are the meek of the earth, Zephaniah 2.3, but some are more remarkable than others for this grace, as Moses, who was thus fitted for the work he was called to do, which, requ- which required all the meekness he had and sometimes more. And sometimes the unkindness of our friends is a greater trial of our meekness than the malice of our enemies. This was a very uh, close uh, criticism and attack to have his own brother and sister coming against him and a, a deep trial indeed. Someone has said, Meekness not only gives great peace of mind, but often adds a luster to the countenance. We only read of three in Scripture whose faces shone remarkably. Christ, Moses, and Stephen. And they were eminent for meekness. Now you might say, Stephen, really? Wasn't he the one that said he's stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears? He'd always resist the Holy Ghost? Yes, that was Stephen. He was doing that for the Lord. When it came to his own skin, they were thrown, and the stones were coming his way, he said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Did God see? Yes, Stephen saw the heaven open, Jesus standing at the right hand of God. God sees the meek. When Paul wrote to, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, you don't need to turn there necessarily, but uh, in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul's defending the way that he was relating to the church. And he was he wanted to relate to them as as Christ would. He wanted to be Christ-like. But he was being criticized for his gentle approach. You know, he's just this sort of uh, weak man, the way he's coming across. And let's be honest, in our society today, there's not much appreciation for meekness. You need to stand up for, for your rights and defend yourself. Someone who calmly takes accusations, unfair treatment is considered rather pitiful or weak. But the Bible um, holds up as examples those that face circumstances in a in a meek way with a quiet trust in God. This is not weakness, as is clear from the Greek word that is used of wild animals that have been tamed. They have not lost their strength, but have learned to work in harmony with others. Meekness is not weakness, but it is strength that has come under 
the control and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that allows us to work in harmony with others. There's also, Paul then gave instruction to to Timothy. And I'll just read that in, in 2 Timothy 2, about how he was to conduct himself. 2 Timothy 2.24, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Instruction here for church leaders to patiently and meekly speak truth to the Aaron in the hope that God will um, allow them to see the error of their ways, the, the lies of the devil that they have bought into. And just like Moses was tested in his meekness, sometimes church leaders are tested in, in meekness to, um, to be patient with people. And that is the instruction that Paul gave to Timothy. Well, we are all called to pursue meekness. Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Someone made a comment once, something about the meek will inherit the earth because they're the ones that don't want it, or they're not striving for it. Um, That makes me think of Solomon's request for wisdom, and then how God said he would also give him riches and long life. When we're striving for what is truly important, God will reward generously. My understanding is that to the Jews, the expression inherit the earth referred to God's best blessings. And um, what came out too, and I appreciated the, uh, the Sunday school lesson, the hereafter as opposed to the end, the, the future. We, we need to look beyond this life. To uh, as we think about God's best blessings, they are in the the afterlife, and that's where the difference between the reward of the wicked and the reward of the righteous is fully revealed. We saw that in Psalm seventy-four this morning. We could also turn to Psalm thirty-seven, where a number of verses contrast the future of the wicked versus the righteous. And then verse eleven says, "But the meek shall inherit the earth." and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Meek are peaceful people. And, you know, sometimes that can have a financial advantage too. There are some people that are meek and they can conduct business with a difficult person when others can't, when the sparks fly. Sometimes a meek person can get along and do business and and have a profitable uh, um, business relationship with someone because they're meek. So can, it's not always a matter of being taken advantage of. We're familiar with 1 Peter 3, 4, where the wives are instructed not to adorn themselves outwardly, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. You know, there's times where a woman may be more capable than her husband in certain areas. But they're called to respect the leadership of their husbands and that 
involves meekness. In uh, Ephesians 4, we read that a worthy walk and first is first and foremost a lowly and a meek walk. That is um, sort of the pivot in, in Ephesians where it goes from more doctrinal to more practical. And it's not all of a sudden, okay, see how you're, you're gifting. It, what's first and foremost is not your gifting. How can I use my gifts in the church? What is first and foremost is that we are conducting ourselves with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering and forbearing. And sometimes we can get that turned around where I need to be able to use my gifts. What precedes that is that we are operating in all lowliness and meekness of mind. When we have a heartfelt desire to meet the needs of others, then we can use our abilities in a godly, righteous manner. When we're thinking about the other person and serving them. But if we're just serving our own ego, then it's not going to be as effective as it could be. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We are called to care for each other, to be patient, to show love even when we think we have reason to be unkind. Titus 3, 1 to 3. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. People around us, whether noble and kind or harsh and foolish, should not be able to change who we are. Regardless of who we're with, who we're around, they, they shouldn't be able to change who we are. Regardless of how we're treated, we should continue to exhibit the life of Christ in us. Someone has said, A humble person can neither be put down nor exalted. He can neither be humiliated nor honored. He remains the same person under all circumstances. Wow, that's quite a challenge. Quite a challenge. Can't be raised up, can't be put down. In Galatians 6, we're to restore someone uh, who is an heir in the spirit of meekness. Realizing our ability to fall in a similar or maybe even a worse way. Dr. Samuel Johnson, an English writer in the 1700s, is said to have stated, I've never yet read of a crime, but what I too might have committed that crime. That's an honest perspective. And we are called to relate 
to people. Like I said, no matter who's around us, it can't change, should not change who we are. We should continue to act in a way that is redemptive. And I want to share a rather heart-wrenching account I read a while ago. Uh, maybe you've heard the account of a neonatal nurse named Sharon. She was on shift and was called urgently uh, because there had been an oops abortion. In other words, a baby was born alive that was being aborted. And now suddenly attention shifted from trying to end the baby's life to trying to sustain it, if at all possible. So the nurse and the pediatrician tried intubation to try to get oxygen into those underdeveloped lungs of the tiny boy, but they were unsuccessful. And the pediatrician gave an angry rant about these people who are fighting for the rights of abortion and don't really realize the situations they're promoting, getting into difficult situations. He left the baby in Sharon's care, telling her to try to keep the baby comfortable and to let him know when it's over. So she instinctively checked the baby's vitals, found his temperature was dangerously low, and turned up the warmer settings as far as they would go. His heart rate was close to 200 beats per minute. Then she found herself talking to the baby. Tiny Tim, who are you? I am so sorry you were not wanted. It's not your fault. She continued to talk to him as he sucked his thumb and gasped for air. And she sang to him. Then he caught hold of her little finger and held it as his life slipped away. Goodbye, Tiny Tim. She whispered, you did matter to someone. It's the epilogue of the story that I think really ties into our theme this morning. About three years later, now the manager of a psychiatric unit, Sharon interviewed Kathy, a young woman who had tried to commit suicide. As Kathy shared... uh, Oh, she said she was having um, recurring nightmares after she had had an abortion about three years before. A baby was crying for help and kept calling her name, but she could never find the baby. As Kathy shared more details, Sharon figured out that this was the mother of Tiny Tim. But due to hospital protocol, she could not tell Kathy. More years passed, and they ran into each other at a restaurant. Now Sharon was able to gently share with Kathy the details of that sad night. She was able to tell her that her baby was loved, given a name, and did not die alone. They wept together, and Sharon could see healing starting to take place for Kathy. Although Sharon still needed to live with those haunting memories of that night. You know, what people are made to believe is not a big deal. It's a big deal. I see the inner strength of meekness in Sharon as she cared for a baby that was not loved by those who should have loved it. She extended grace and comfort to the mother in spite of the awful decision she had made. This account is also a reminder that sinners pay a price for their choices and we do not need to inflict vengeance or justice upon them. God will take care of that. Our role is to facilitate reconciliation between sinners and and a holy God. And that is a role for the meek of the earth, to reconcile sinners to a holy God. 
But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks your reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. When we share our faith, we share it with meekness. I know in, in Peter there, that was in the context of persecution. They were to be more concerned with giving a testimony for God than saving their own skin, preserving their own life. So maybe one way we would apply it to us today is when we're presenting truth, we're not trying to get the person to agree with us because of, for our own ego's sake. It's because we genuinely want them to come to the knowledge of the truth. We're, we're freed from the pressure of having converts because we're secure in our relationship with the Lord. Uh, our Lord Jesus is more concerned with obeying the Father than having a huge crowd of followers. So it's important what our hearts are like. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. We need prepared hearts, not just minds, although that is that is good to know the Scriptures, to know how to present truth, but we need prepared hearts, serving hearts, Meek hearts, not selfish hearts. How do we pursue meekness? One young man prayed this prayer, O my Savior God, deliver me from sluggishness on the one hand and from ambition on the other. May I do all I can do and feel no more lifted up than if I did nothing. And finally, Hudson Taylor, explaining his success, said, I think God was looking for a little man, little enough so that he could show himself strong through him. A man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. If we can have that attitude, God can use us. He will be pleased to be our defender and rewarder. God help us to be meek. Let's stand together for close prayer.